Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. For sure, I think if I get to drive more and more and more, uh, for sure, you know, I'm going to feel more comfortable. I nearly told him to calm down in the end. I'm like, mate, you're making me stressed. I'm stressed enough as he's not. In 2014, Chaz Mostert and Paul Morris won Bathurst. The race finished at almost 6.30 and 5.2 million people were watching at the end of that race. So a quarter of the Australian population watched Chaz win that race. That's a pretty you know, compelling figure to, to drop on anybody. <laughs> From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. And welcome to another thrilling episode of Inside Supercars as we get ready for the heat of Darwin. Well, all the others do, apart from Craig and myself. Craig Revelle, Tony Whitlock. And it's certainly getting cold here in Canberra, Tony. I would love to be up in Darwin this weekend, but unfortunately, it's not this year. And uh, based on what we saw at the Fink over the uh, course of the weekend, the the weather only looks like it's getting better and better for those up north. We'll just have to rely on the heat of the news to warm us up. And it's, as usual, another interesting week as we get ready for Darwin. And last year, I believe it was uh, Van Gisbergen, back-to-backs. He uh, put on a display, didn't he? And uh, yeah. And really, this race, like everyone talks about, oh, uh, it's not until the Enduros that we think about the championship. But if you go back the last few years, it's actually been Darwin after this winter break, which has really set the platform for the championship. Uh, a few years ago, Jamie Winkup looked out of sorts, went to Darwin, smashed him in Darwin, and went on to grab his what sixth championship. So, yeah. if you look at the if you look at the form ladder, whatever happens at Darwin is a pretty good indication to what's going to be the outcome at the end of the year. And Caruso, yes, and I think he, no, he didn't he have a win in the uh, Gary Rogers car there and then backed it up with yeah. a Nissan? That's correct, yes, yeah. indeed. Showed his liking for the track even though he's in different machinery. Indeed. Um, in track, that, that kilometre-long straight certainly sorts out those who don't have the power and those who do. Yeah, and it's a great place uh, to go down as a photographer and uh, and watch them coming into that area. It's uh, it's amazing the speed these cars do, and what's more amazing is the braking performance of the cars. And this is another of those weekends where we have the the joy of seeing two young wildcards joining the main series. That being Jack LeBrock in a Matt White run car, and Macaulay Jones in one run by his father and uncle. Yes, and uh, of course, a good friend of Inside Supercars in uh, Dr. Jeff Slater is going to be uh, jumping back behind the computer and uh, doing the engineering for the team at that event. And uh, that's going to be interesting because he's been chomping at the bit to see what these new tyres are like. Yeah, he of course has been kept busy uh, doing the development series with Eggleston as well as uh, race engineering with Scott Taylor and Mercedes. But anyway, onward and upward with this week. One of the most interesting pieces of news that has just come out, um, and it's a story that uh, the Financial Review uh, put in today's paper, about Archer and the potential sale. They may have pulled out at this stage. Yeah, reports, certainly from the Financial Review, is that they uh, are going to notify the teams that they've decided not to sell their 65%. Now, uh, obviously... 
the uh, sport has just kept rolling on through amid all the speculation of who may or may not buy it. But you'd you'd have to speculate, and I'll speculate that uh, perhaps they didn't get a sale price near enough to what they were looking for to make it uh, viable. And they they said, well, we've still got plenty of time. It's not as if they had to sell and bail out of the sport. It was just a case of uh, it was time to move on and under the uh, life cycle of their business ownership. But if they're not going to get enough for it, then then they go, well, we can hang on to this longer and see how it turns. I remember that when they bought uh, supercars um, from the consortium that was both the teams and SEL, um, that there were a number of other businesses involved. One of them was a nursing home or a, a chain or a large operation of nursing homes, which was extremely profitable for Archers. And I don't remember what the other one was, but the, you know there were three different businesses, very different businesses, all bought. And unfortunately for the owners of the, of the uh, teams, that uh, Supercars was the least. Uh, uh, well, it provided the least return for Archer, and therefore that's when they started to look around at possibly selling. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that if you had someone who was offering the right price, it sold. Um, so I can only imagine that they're thinking, hey, we're on an upswing here, and perhaps that talks about how the business is going, and under James Warburton's leadership, that they also think that this business is on the up because if you were thinking it was a problem, then you'd get out of it and cut your losses. But that's not the attitude they're taking with a decision like this. No, indeed. And we'll talk later on about it uh, in the closing uh, thoughts um, about the other developments that they've got as part of their new business. But this week's show um, is an interesting one because we're turning our, our thoughts to Erebus who, while Dave Reynolds and possibly other members of the team get a bit annoyed when people talk about them fighting above their weight and all those sorts of things, they are doing extremely well since they changed from Mercedes to Holden, uh, buying in Walkinshaw engines. They built one car, a new one for Dave Reynolds, uh, last year, and then they uh, Dale Wood in the second car, who they, they keep on talking up as being a great asset to the team, and I'm not certainly is. I'm not one second suggesting he's not. But they keep on saying that how much he has helped uh, with the development in a, a driver who has a lot of experience in these cars, won development series and uh, been in a lot of different teams, can provide that different edge, that knowledge that can possibly give them the, uh, the little secret tweak they need for a weekend. Mm, it's going to be... Uh... It's going to be interesting to see how Erebus continue on this year because they've certainly been doing a good job. And, yes, uh, I agree. They don't particularly like the punching above their weight uh, category, uh, the um, label, but um, certainly it's perception, isn't it? And they're not perceived as a, uh, as a top five, top ten team yet. No. Um, they moved uh, workshops last year, didn't they, or was it this year? No, that was last year. That was actually one year ago, so we'll definitely speak to um, to the boys about that as well because they've they've now had 12 months to settle into the new premises. So that was, in fact, when they went back from Darwin. They, they went to the new workshop after Darwin. No, no, they went in between Winton and Darwin last year. I see, right, OK. All right, well, that'll certainly add nothing. And today we're uh, fortunate we're looking at a different aspect of uh, running in the supercars, and that being the commercial side. Now, we've enlisted uh, the help of uh, Bruin Beasley, who works with Erebus. He has a number of different uh, bows to his uh, portfolio, and we'll talk about those with him in a few minutes. 
and Dave Reynolds to uh, freshen up uh, getting ready for Darwin and tell us about what's been happening with him and uh, the new developments in his contract and uh, what goes beyond for Erebus. So in a few minutes, we'll talk with him. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back, and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. As we mentioned, we've got Bruin Beasley in his role as an Erebus commercial manager and Dave Reynolds, the, uh, well, number one driver, or at least the number nine driver. Number nine driver. And no, Erebus no, yeah. Let's not discriminate here. No, 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 I said the number nine driver. Yes, well done. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed. Bruin, uh, welcome to the show. No, oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. You... Um, You've got a, a, a long history in motorsport. Um, I've known of it since uh, the uh, mid '90s. Take us back to where your father started. Ah, uh, well, going back um, almost prehistoric times, I imagine. Dad was um, his claim to fame was he was a factory driver for Nissan or Datsun at that time. Yep. Um, he was Australian agent for Cosworth, and he was also the chairman of the state council for Cairns. Yep. All right. And I knew him as a competitor in Formula Ford. Yeah, um, so he designed and built a form of Ford uh, in the 70s and then um, he did bits and pieces uh, and obviously a family came in so he slowed down a bit and then um, when I was the youngest Australian to get a full race licence at 14, um, I started doing the same thing. And you were driving a what? Uh, we bought a brand new Elfin at the time which was the last car that uh, they built with Edmondson uh, at the helm. Right, okay. And the, father, the cars your father built? Uh, yeah, they'll, they'll call him Minder. So yep. he built a series of Clubmans and bits and pieces, and obviously he built Jim Keogh's XD Falcon, Group C car in period, and uh, bits and pieces like that, and worked with Rusty for people. Yes, indeed. And, of course, Minder is the name that you use for your own business. Yeah, I carried the name. I suppose it was a bit of goodwill that was, was out there. So I'll just uh, roll it and continue with it. All right. We'll talk to you another time about some of your history in motorsport. We'll today's topic which is about the commercial side of motorsport and particularly on supercars so david is one of your charges that you have to uh, drag out of the team sometimes to go off to a particular sponsor uh, commitment yeah look and uh, he's quite a pleasure to work with actually it's um never none of that stuff oh, you, is that because hard. <laughs> well it is oh, you're there sorry I didn't know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no no dave's pretty good you know we're talking about you most... dave not to you you <laughs> know yeah, they were talking about you. Um, no, he's very good. You know, he understands what, what his role is in, in, in continuing with this. And, um, you know, the, without corporate support and commercial partners, you know, he probably wouldn't have a job. Yeah. Now, your particular role in uh, Erebus, um, it's commercial manager? Well, not 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 by title as such. Um, Barry and I do it together. Um, yes. Working on different things. So I'm more, I'm there to try and maintain the relationships and work on new ones, yeah. And, and you and Barry, uh, Barry being Barry Ryan, the commercial, uh, the general manager of Erebus, you first came together at John Faulkner's? 
Um, yeah, in, in this industry we did. We actually worked together before that in a motorcycle shop. Um, and then probably a few months later he got a, a job offer at John Faulkner and I ended up there at some stage as well. Okay, all right. And David, uh, you've enjoyed the time since Thorne's been on board. Has made life a little bit simpler or just different? Um, well, the last two commercial managers we've had in the last year have been a lot different to Bruin, but Bruin's been real good. There's kind of a no-bullshit attitude and it's, you know, common-sense approach. Well, I imagine that somebody having such a long, steep history in motorsport would mean he has a possibly a better understanding than some of his predecessors. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you could say that, but... Yeah, I don't want to speak badly about the no, other No, 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 I'm not, I'm not calm, but I, I think the, um, the problem is this industry generates commercial people who are salespeople. Um, right. and, yeah, and, 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 and that's true. I mean, and you need to be able to sell and, and be a salesperson, a news car salesman. But ultimately, you know, you've got good products. You don't need to be out there trying to sell your soul to do things. You've just got to present the case properly, I think. Right. But, yeah, okay. it's, a, it's an extremely hard job to do, and I... I wouldn't want to do it for $10 million a year, you know. It's a lot of pressure, and it's probably more pressure than actual driving. Right, yeah, yeah. But how, what's the balance, Dave? Like, obviously, uh, when, you, when you sign a driving contract, or when you sign a contract to be a driver at a team, it's not just a contract to drive for that team. There are a whole bunch of other um, things that are expected of you or are part of that contract. Uh, yeah, yeah, like... You try and get your hand in all the top, in all the I suppose uh, parts of the business, but you know my job as driver is to be the driver and maximise the car every time it hits the op- every time it hits the track and and try and help steer this team in the right direction of trying to win races and it's it's coming along pretty good. But yeah, so when you sign the deal, that's the I suppose the, when it comes down to negotiating, that's the that's the fun bit. <laughs> Well, it's supposed to be anyway. What makes it fun for you? Oh, uh, just just the whole process. Um, I've got a manager that does it on my behalf as well. So you know, it's it's trying. I know Bruins on the other line, but it's trying to maximise your earning capacity while you're in the sport, and not trying to do it uh, disrespectfully or or trying to get on uh, the bad side of the team, so right. it's a very it's a hard thing to do. Like I know managers come in and and create a big shitstorm, and then you know it's it's left up to the driver, and they kind of feel awkward when they go the when they go to the team if they've had a if the managers had a bad meeting and stuff, something like that. We're not trying to do that. So you know my manager's really good, and he's he's got a really good brain and a really good heart too. You um, have had some pretty good sponsors in the past, uh, David, in, in, in like yeah, Buffalo and Stratco and fairly high-profile high sponsors. Um, Bundy Red, require... that was a really good one. Sorry? <laughs> Bundaberg Red, that was Bundaberg. a fantastic they, one. Do they require a lot more of your time than, say, you know, currently uh, Penwright? Uh, not surprisingly, none of them required a lot of time. Um, it's For me... Every time I do something, I don't see it as actual work. Yep. And then, and then the day's a lot easier. You know, talking yep. to people's free doesn't cost a cent. Yep. Um, and I'm as as a driver, I probably only work maybe a hundred days a year. And then, 
So the rest of the time I'm kind of free. So I always see it. I don't see it as working really. Bruin, I think yeah. what I'm doing, I, I think cleaning my house is work. <laughs> my girlfriend's hopeless at it, so I have to clean it. <laughs> but Bruin, how do you balance, you know, what you can offer to a potential partner, knowing that drivers have, you know, specified amounts of times and dates that they're going to be available to you, and how do you balance off those experiences, which is what companies are really paying for? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to juggle. The reality is some some people have different expectations. You know, we've got a great group of people who support us at the moment who, you know, understand the limitations, understand what Dave can and can't do, and Dale, and even Betty. You know, Betty is quite... Um, Demanded role. <laughs> yeah, you know, she's, she's unique she's as far as the moment it goes. Yeah, and so for us, we just have to be realistic and, and, and set the ground rules pretty early, saying that reality is, you know, both our drivers and our team owner can't be um, available every day of the week. There, there's, there's guidelines and there's, there's, there's not rules, but, I mean, you have to work with them. But, you know, the reality is um, they all want to get their, you know, their, their cut. Their share of the pie. Yeah, and you've just got to try and manage it. And the reality is don't over, you can't over-offer. Um, you know, a lot of people offer and, and make promises and try and deliver that they things that they just can't deliver. And David, um, you, you've talked about how many ways that Erebus is, is one of the best teams you've driven for. It yeah. doesn't appear on the outside to have an enormous um, depth of, of experience in some of the people within the team. Um, but it, is it because of the camaraderie? Is it, a, is it a, a bonding that the team has that makes it good to work in? Well, exactly. Like, because it was started real, like, when I joined it, it was only really started at the start of 2016. And we've basically had the, the same group of people the whole time, which is kind of rare in our sport. So everyone's banded together. We've had some, we've had some really bad times and we've had some really good times together. And that's, I suppose when you when you go through struggle like they they did, and not so much me, but I saw the struggle they went through to get to every race at the start of last year. They kind of grew as as a unit, and and yeah, the culture is really really cool. But it's all kind of all stems from the top. Like Baz is a good leader. He um he's got a you know a really good approach to everything, and and yeah, and he's been in, in the sport for such a long time that it. I think it's kind of easy for him, but you know, it's it's we're we're still building. We're still we've still got a lot to achieve in the sport, I think, and and I, I thoroughly enjoy the journey. Bruin, how difficult is it with sponsorship and partners? When I know Hungry Jacks are on your car, or they certainly were at the beginning of the year, um, but of course, supercars have another fast food provider. How do you work through? your sponsors that might be different to the category sponsors? I mean, that is difficult. I mean, the Hungry Jacks were on our car last year and obviously not this year. They've, they've taken another path and I think they're headed down the football path. You know, and that's and that's what we've got to compete with as well. So it's not just supercars, it's, it's other forms of sport. Um, with with clashing sponsors, it's... I mean, it's very hard at the moment. We've got Penrite and Penrite are fantastic for us. And um, they've named them as a partner for, for Bathurst, so that works really well. But last year or the year before, you know, Castrol heavily involved. So um, we we can only offer what we can, and we, but we can't control the TV, we can't control the media. 
um, and naturally supercars or, or a governing body of any, any sort are going to try and, uh, I suppose, not manipulate, but, you know, try and make sure that their corporate partners get as much coverage as they can. So, um, you know, it's a balancing act for everyone. But the reality is, you know, they don't, these companies don't get involved not knowing that those other things exist. You know, they know that that's part of what, what's going on. Um, and you've just got to be, be clever and, and smart and honest in what you can try and deliver. And coming back after the break, we'll be back with David and Bruin to discuss Erebus and the intricacies of running in the supercar series. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels through the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Are you finding this year? Bruin that um, you've got a saleable product, that being both supercars and also the Erebus team. Are you able to go out and, and elicit new uh, partners to come on board? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not easy finding any corporate money anywhere at the moment. But um, we've got a very good product. Dave's very good. Dale's very good. Uh, and Betty, you know, Betty, there's a lot of people who love Betty and there's some people obviously probably don't like Betty, but um, she's down to worth and she's honest. So the, the product... Yeah is not hard to sell, that's for sure. Um, you know, we've just picked up a, a small sponsor that starts next weekend, and that wasn't a hard process. Um, they understand that uh, who we are and, and what Dave and people are like. So it is it, it is difficult to sell, but we've got a good product, and now that we're, yeah. we're more competitive, it makes it easier. So what, what, we're, what we've got... Hang on, what, what we've yep. got special in our team is we've got originality with myself, Betty and Dale, Yep. You know, we're all quite independent, I suppose, compared to the rest of the field. Like, we're quite unique characters. And, yeah, we've got... It's a, it's a new team. It's a, We're building. Right. How much, and though, think, is you know, that political correctness, though? Because, you know, David, there you've had a well-publicised uh, uh, incident. Well, and... I like to call it... I like to call it political politeness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because <laughs> there's no correct manner, is there, really? <laughs> and, and uh, of course, but that's something I guess you have to be mindful of, that is this going to affect these partnerships? Yeah, well, I suppose 90% of people uh, really don't care and, and, and 10% of people, or maybe even 5% of people might care. But today, some, for some stupid reason in this society, we cater to the to the minority, the people who have the smallest voice seem to have the biggest voice, which is really bizarre. But uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of those, I, I find a lot of those issues that we see as political greatness are media generated. You know, Joe Average on the street or, or the punter in pit lane, they don't care. You know, they're not really interested in all that. It's only when some of the parts of the media jump up and down and make an issue out of something that really isn't an issue is when it becomes an issue. And those days, is, you know, the, the minority has the voice. Which is the disappointing thing where at times 
um, the uh, mainstream media have uh, taken things. I'm not going to refer back to it, David, but we know what we're talking That's about. That's all right. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. You, I'm not. You, oh, oh, Tony, you'd be surprised. In every motorsport talk I do, that is the one of the biggest things that we talk about. Yeah, no, I'm not wanting to talk about it. I'm talking about the fact that it's a pity that our sport is too often about crashes, shall we say, okay? It's not about the Indy 500. It's about the big crash that happened in the race. But too yeah, often our sport doesn't get the coverage for the event itself. It gets it for the peripheral things, which aren't the main focus and should be the main it's focus. True. And that's the unfortunate thing with tabloid newspapers in particular. And unfortunately, a lot of the television and radio picks up those tabloid newspapers because they're cheap, easy hits. And uh, it's an unfortunate thing where motorsport hasn't learned how to sell itself properly. Yeah, but I think it's a, it's a generalisation across the media. You've only had a look at the news last night. There was a, uh, a car accident in Australia, and the story wasn't about the the person in the incident. It was about the fact that the dog was left behind and who was going to look after the oh, dog. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> the reality of that is it's just, you know, it's unacceptable. What, what, at what level do, do we think as a society that that's newsworthy when the poor person in the inc- in the accident is should be the focus, not the dog left behind? My, my mother who died two years ago, had a particular phrase to describe that, and it's called Cats Up Tree News. Yeah. Cats Up Tree <laughs> and, it's, and it's, you know, it's an indictment. It's sad, it's sad. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, I, everyone tre- treats them and the bulk of the population is done. David, yeah, you've, no, had, they're, they're... you've had some of the biggest cut-throughs. Um, I know that, uh, you know, you have had Triple J interviews, you've had uh, newspaper stuff, which other drivers don't seem to be able to... Uh, Achieve. I oh, know. I feel kind of special. <laughs> You're very special. <laughs> but what, well, what makes I'm, it? I'm a little bit different. I do different stuff. Like, you know, on the podium, everyone just gets their trophy, but I like to celebrate and do something silly. It's something memorable. Well, we know where the idea of drinking from a shoe started in motorsport from, don't we? Me. Yeah. Well, me and Royal Harris, I suppose. I was about yeah, to say, I thought Royal, Royal Harris, Harris needs to take credit for that, doesn't he? He does, yes. I always give him credit. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Daniel's taking it on a bigger stage. Would you... Uh, but Brian, know, he, gave, he gave one to Professor X on the weekend. Yes. <laughs> Did you, um, Bruin... In this day and age of uh, social media and all that sort of stuff, when you were racing, would that make it easier for a, for a young guy trying to get sponsorship, trying to get momentum? Or do you think it makes it harder because no matter what he does, like could you imagine Peter Brock in the social media age and some of his antics? You know, you know I have some fundamental problems with social media as far as that it has a, 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 has its place, there's no question, and it's, it's quick and it's easy and gives access to amazing things very quickly. It's also focused on by people for the wrong reasons. You know, it's very hard for people to, to live their lives and do their things and make a comment without it being uh, commented on, which is really not important. So I think used properly, it's an amazing platform, um, but it also comes with its consequences. You know, I think there's plenty of people who, who use it not understanding that it's it's there forever and it goes worldwide and it's um, you know it's a caption in time that they just don't understand it and people use it against them. So you know, as a corporate tool, it's very good, but it's also focused on far too much. I think. Do you have somebody specifically in your team who looks after that side for Erebus? 
Yeah, Shannon does that for us, and she right. does an ex- exceptionally good job at it. Right. And I think you know, I think it's an important medium, and I think you've got to you've got to be all over it. Um, you know, you get left behind if you don't. But it's also, you know, the stress that it puts on Shannon on a daily basis to be doing stuff to meet what uh, I suppose the requirements. You know, in some contracts, is quite hard. Right. And David, the social media. Do you? I mean, we know that. Uh, uh, in the past, it's been both a friend and an ally with to you and getting your message out. Are you still um, regularly posting things? No, I'm not really. I kind of, I'm trying to get off it, actually, right. to be honest. I have it a, a very small part of my life. Right. But it can, it can consume you and you can read too much into it and read all the comments people write. and You kind of get a bit depressed by it, so you might as well just not have it at all, I think, and just deal with the, your own friends, you know. It's 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 a really weird tool, and I think as a society we don't know how to use it yet. It's only been around for a short time, yeah. and we don't know how to, I suppose, filter it and use it in a nice, I suppose, friendly manner. Because mm. yeah. yeah. um, most most people only take it, take to it when they're angry and say <laughs> something bad. So majority of the time, you rarely get you only know, get bad. Comments. And you, know, you do get you do get some good ones, but I don't know. I actually don't. The problem is it gives attention of it anymore. It gives a platform for people who want to voice an opinion who, you know, in the old days would yell at the TV. Um, yeah, exactly. They, yeah. They, they can actually voice that opinion and feel like they're they're part of the world and they have a say. You know, everyone wants to have a say and everyone wants to be wanted or needed. But you know, the bulk of it is really just—it's not constructive. You know. Mm-hmm. When, when did you win the Formula Four Championship, David? Sorry, say that again. When when did you win the Formula Four Championship? Uh, 2004? Yeah, I think, well, it, it was certainly that year that I first met you when you were at... Uh, at the Grand Prix. At the Grand Prix, yeah. Um, I, I, I remember at times talking to you about... Yeah, talking to you about the forums and things like that and, and the danger for young drivers in reading yeah, them. You, always, you told me not to get not to stay on them. <laughs> well, not to read them, so I never did, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. they just say things that are just so derogatory and have no knowledge of it, and that's the unfortunate thing, is people are making comment. And, and it, it's one of my great, as a journalist, of a fifth-generation journalist, you know, the, the idea of people putting up anonymous comments and things is just totally wrong. You know, yeah. if you can't say it to somebody's face, then don't say it. And, uh, and and let people know who's saying it. And that's the thing that I find so abhorrent about the whole social media thing. There are far too many people out there saying things and you know, no one knows who they are. So if you can't exactly. Bruin, though, has anyone ever say, seen your performance or been at the track and then posted, hey, contact me, we'd like to do something? No. Um, <laughs> well, yes and no. Well, I mean, yeah, we've, sometimes. We've got, to, we've got to say that we one of our sponsors last year um, made contact through social media and wanted to be involved and like Dave and like Betty. So, um, yeah, we have we have got a commercial partner via that way, but um, it was a relationship we had to, had to grow and it's growing and they're very happy, but it was the initial contact was through social media, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. It's a certainly an interesting development and one, you, as you say, you really have to be across that you can't just ignore it or pretend it'll go away and it'll only be favourable to you. No, I mean, emails were the same 25 years ago or 20 years ago, you know. You know it just be, it's just become the norm and it's accepted and it's part of your daily practice. Yeah, yeah. 
Roughly uh, per year, how many days would you require Dale and Dave to come and do appearances or, or product launches and those sort of things? Which is, it varies a little bit. I mean, Dave, to be fair, is probably in the workshop every couple of, you know, two or three times a week, off and yep. on. Um, but, you know, for external activities away from the track, um, there's probably 15 or 20 days right. or nights okay. that it's involved in, yeah. And at a, at a weekend, typically, you're, you've got corporate suites for your clients, your clients have corporate suites, and you have um, Dave come to visit in those? Yeah, we do. Dave, both Dave and Dale and um, Betty, when she has time, will go up and say hello and um, have a chat. And, and the bigger events, I mean, the Sandowns, Bathurst and, and the Adelaide, they require an extra input into them? Um, there's more people. Um, yeah. You sell more corporate corporate seats or, or you know, um, so you, there's not the energy's the same, but you just have more people and you have more pit tours and you have more people coming through the place. And then, of course, the next two are very big for you because they're once-a-year places, both for the Northern Territory and far north Queensland. And that one, for us, is, you know, we've had amazing um, response to, to our, our partners up there too. Most of them will be there. We've got a function on one night there. And, you know, we're, we're having to schedule more pit tours than what we normally do. So that's working really well. And it looks like um, you know, the last round's going to be very big as well. And, and that's a big thing for your pit tour, Brian. It is, yeah. I mean, it, it, I suppose it gives an opportunity for people who have never been involved. We'll take it for granted that, um, you know, we're involved and we do and have been doing it for a long time. But, you know, people from the outside, it's an amazing experience for them to see and touch and feel and understand what really goes on. Yeah. And tell me, um, you, you had a particularly good year back in uh, 15, was it, uh, David? We're finishing third in the championship? Uh, yeah, it was a really funny year for me. Because yeah. um, at the start of the year, I got told I had to perform in my job, you know, results-wise. Yeah. Otherwise, I, could, I was going to be let go at the end of the year. But and, then it happened earlier. Well, yeah, I kind of I was. I think when I I think when I was let go, I think I was second in the championship. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think my performance had anything to do whether I was going to stay or, or if if I was going to go I think I was gone anyway so it really didn't matter if I won the championship or won every race I think I was gone so yeah but otherwise mate it was probably one of the best years I've had racing results wise it was a really really struggle for me at the start of the year to deal with all that extra stress and you know um if I was I suppose if I was on in the management side I probably wouldn't approach it like that (laughs) but uh and and this year you're again showing some good speed yeah, we're going okay. We're going really good. Um, yeah. This year's this year's really difficult um, because when you look at the grid, you know there's there's ten I suppose like really high level experienced players in the in the sport. Uh, there's the two DJR cars, the four run triple eight cars if you include Lowndes and Will Davison, and the four uh, four FPL Pro Drive racing cars. So anytime you can sort of run race qualify in the sort of top 10 well even i even say top sort of eight or six you know you've done a fantastic job yeah Yeah. and we've had a podium we've had a couple of fourths we've had a couple of fifths we're ninth in the championship we've had a we've had a dnf and um a bad round at at perth so otherwise you know our results are looking pretty strong 
And we have some good points taken off us at um, Tassie too when they pulled the points on that race for us. You know, you yeah, exactly. I was the race. fourth. I was yeah. fourth yeah. on on yeah, on track, and it was a no points race exactly. Mm. Well, it's pretty likely that uh, you've got two tracks coming up that you've shown good results in the past <laughs> on. Yeah, yeah, I love the next two two tracks. Yeah. Uh, being an Albury boy, the country, and so therefore the simpler life of of uh, places like Darwin and Townsville probably appeal to you as well. Uh, yeah, definitely. Oh, I just like the layouts and the weather. And the people yeah. are really nice and friendly and informative, I suppose. And yeah, it's just a, they're just really good rounds, really good rounds. Well, we we certainly hope that Erebus and uh, Dave and Dale both have a great weekend coming up. Um, we look forward to seeing the results and uh, watching you climb back steadily up the uh, the top ten of the results. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you very Appreciate much, it. David. Thank you very much, Bill. We uh, look forward right. to again talking you. in the future. Thanks, right. we'll Thanks Craig. Thanks. And after the break, we'll come back with our final thoughts on Inside Supercars this week. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie Stewart Grand Prix and I just remind myself of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth and you're listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. Craig Bell and Tony Whitlock. Excuse <coughs> me, looking into... This week's final thoughts, mine turns to Craig, the, well at this stage we'll say lack of sale, there may have been bites but not big enough, Um, supercars have been looking in different directions, Uh, I understand that Matt Braid who joined supercars a year and a half, two years ago from Volvo where he'd been in marketing and largely responsible for bringing Volvo into the sport with Gary Rogers, he joined the uh, organisation in the commercial side, and one of his responsibilities has been Utes, which at this stage you have to say is not thrilling us with its development. Um, they're looking obviously at the new type of, of uh, utilities with Cole, Holden and uh, Ford both pulling out of production locally, so they, they'll be all imported cars or Utes. And the other one is this uh, move towards uh, replicating uh, Chris Lambden's Formula 5000. Um, which is um, a disappointment. Interesting that they should go in this direction with two new categories. It doesn't seem to me as though they're going to be great winners for them. Um, there'll be uh, the 5,000 one doesn't appear to be garnishing a lot of interest from the competitors, certainly not in supercar teams. And the youth has got very little take-up by the existing youth team. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in these areas. Great. Yep, it is indeed. And uh, my final thought is the second circuit at Bathurst. Uh, obviously, Bathurst has been crying out to have a more permanent home of motorsport. But I have to wonder if putting the entire infrastructure on the other side of the hill is the best bang for your buck. When you have all that infrastructure down the bottom of the hill that uh, goes for the majority of the year unused, why would you be having to replicate it all again on the other side of the hill is my question. 
Um, obviously, wiser minds than mine have uh, been set to it. And I have a sneaking suspicion that with so many properties on the inside of the track, it was just too expensive to clear the way to have a permanent circuit in that facility and in and about that facility. But that's just my pure speculation there, Tony. Just remembering back um, when we were doing sprint rounds at Bathurst, um, that uh, they did um, reach a conclusion that the cost involved in putting those events on, because regardless of whether it was 1,000Ks or the 320-minute races they were probably in those days, um, you still had to have the same number of officials, whether they be fireys or flaggies. And uh, the cost was far too high uh, to justify for a sprint round. So if you're looking at doing it on anything above a four-kilometre track, more than likely those costs are still going to remain fairly high. So it's going to be interesting to see what races and events do go on there. Mm, yeah, indeed. Uh, I would have thought a two-and-a-half to three-kilometre track using the... Uh, Start finish straight would have been the uh, the best and most cost effective option, but uh, anyway, wiser men than I have made, or women, men and women than I have made the decision to build a, a completely new circuit on the other side of the hill. And that's all for this week. Next week, of course, we'll have the postscript on a more than likely a charged event in Hidden Valley. See who's provided some hits and misses, and enjoy the heat that we look at. Not maybe we're failing. So thank you from me, Craig. And a good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.